welcome to the Built on Air podcast, the variety show for all things Airtable. Each episode, we cover four different segments. It's always fresh and different and lots of fun while you get the insider info on all things Airtable. Our hosts and guests are some of the most senior experts in the Airtable community. Join us live each week on our YouTube channel every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern. And join our active community at builtonair.com join. Before we begin, a word from our sponsor, OntoAir.com. Any business running on Airtable gets the value that Airtable has, but also needs a few more functions to complete their operations. That's where OntoAir comes in. It's a suite of tools for any business running on Airtable to maximize your operations efficiencies and automations. One customer, John, states that OntoAir enables his business to function properly without having to think about building their own software. And that is pretty invaluable. The OntoAir Airtable apps are amazing and we use them often and are very happy with the results. So join John and hundreds more customers and take your Airtable to the next level with OntoAir. Sign up today with promo code BUILTONAIR for a 10% discount. Check them out at OntoAir.com. And now let's check out today's episode and see what we built on air. Not happy with the thing. All right, we're going live here. Welcome to the Built on Air podcast, season 13, episode three. Good to be with you this Tuesday morning. Uh, we've got a full house today. Myself, Camille, Ali, and special guest, Jen. Welcome, Jen. Thanks for having me. Good to have you back. Jen's been on a few times in the past. Always good to have you on. And uh, Jen's going to be sharing some cool stuff with us later in the show. So I'll walk through what we're going to be talking about today. As always, it's roughly an hour long show where we go through different segments and help you stay up to date on Airtable. We always start with our round the bases and talk about what's going on, what's new and what people are talking about. And then a spotlight on Ontware, our primary sponsor. And then we will have Jen walk through uh, automations and how she uses BitLinks within Airtable and reporting and cool stuff on that front. And then we will have Ali show us um, some hacks in interfaces and how to use buttons to make your interfaces um, even better. And then a quick shout out to how to join our community. And then finally, Camille will walk through some scripting and using JSON um, for all of your fields and whatnot. So cool stuff there. All right. Starting off with our around the bases. Um, a few things happening, not a ton. Still kind of quiet, I think, with the new year. But there was a big announcement from Airtable, from Fred at Airtable. And it's finally happened. Um, they've been talking about this change coming, but they put a date for API keys to expire. So essentially one year from now, the end of next January, you the API keys that we've used for any kind of integrations, those will no longer exist. And they're being replaced with either OAuth or personal access tokens. So... Thoughts on that announcement? Fun. Well, I'm sure I'm going to be annoyed when I have to replace things. But overall, I think it's supposed to let you have finer control over each implementation's access rights. So right now, you have one API key for your whole account. And so 
I have access to all of my clients' bases, including my bases. Well, if I need to implement, like build them a portal or something, I don't want to put my API key in there because then they could like just use my portfolio for whatever because they have access to it. So it's a good idea and I'm sure I'll be annoyed a year from now. Yeah. So maybe explain, somebody want to explain what the OAuth is versus the personal access tokens? I can fumble it. Yeah. <laughs> OAuth yet. I've done the personal access tokens. I have not used OAuth yet either, um, but it's uh, from my understanding. So there are certain platforms that already have authentication that you could tap into. So the most common one I use personally is sign in with your Google account. So instead of making a brand new account for Airtable with my username and password, I just say, I'm already logged into Google, use that as my authentication and then sign me in. Um, OAuth is a service that allows you to sort of bridge the gap between you know, a top level authenticator and then whatever your app or service is. I think. Yep. Sounds right. Yay. Yep. <laughs> Sounds good. Yep. So yeah, the big difference is you can put scope around both OAuth and personal access tokens where you can lock it down to one base or even now the cool thing is you can actually lock it to a workspace. So if you have a workspace, you can only give access to that workspace. Um, whereas before you only had one key and it gave access to everything that you had access to. So from a security standpoint, it's good. The main difference from OAuth is yeah, it's more user-driven, interface-driven. You have to just click the button to give them access instead of pasting in a, a key. So the personal access tokens are really pretty much kind of like the API keys, but with more granular control but they kind of work the, the same way where you'd have to copy it and paste it in. But you can create multiple, so that's another good thing. So you can have a key for each third-party service that you wanted to use, except you're not supposed to use personal access tokens for third-party integrations. They're supposed to implement OAuth, so that's something we're working on at Ontario to, to get that working. There's a couple of things I don't like about how they implemented OAuth. There's a couple of things that I've given them feedback um, that would be nice. Um, but uh, but yeah, in general, it's definitely kind of more the industry standard way of, of dealing with access to your service. So, but that does mean if you're using Zapier or Make or Onto Air, within the next year there you will have to reconnect your account to Airtable because those keys will stop working so at some point we'll be reaching out to our customers letting them know that they'll need to be upgrading or updating their their access um so that will be a pain like you mentioned throughout the year you don't tell them all at once <laughs> you, you tell yeah. them staggered right yeah yeah and the main thing, some people are asking, I think, uh, I think Kavan asked in here to kind of clarify, um, you know, is it okay to use a, a personal access token for your third party now? So, so don't jump the gun. I would say if you're using Zapier or Make, don't just create a personal access token and put that in there because they're going to implement OAuth. Um, I know they, they mentioned Zapier is already working on it. I assume Make will by the end of the year as well. 
And so you're going to have to switch over to OAuth anyway. So it, it doesn't make sense to, to do a personal access token unless you want that granular control before they make the change. Um, but, you know, I would say hold off if you're using a, a major service until they have OAuth ready. So that's my thoughts there. <clears throat> um, there's some good, um, you know, so people are asking about Softer and Glide and Stacker. Yeah, uh, all of those are likely going to be, you know, using OAuth by the end of the year. So just but hold the, off. The hopeful good news is that as an end user of Airtable, you should just be able to click on your 10 emails, one from Glide and one from Zapier and one from Integromat and whatever services that you're using and just sort of click a link and it'll say, do you want to use, you know, do you want to bind Airtable to whatever it is that you're clicking on? Yes. And then you should be able to go on your merry way. I don't anticipate end users having a whole lot of process that they have to do other than just sort of signing in again. Yeah. Um, if it, it's the developers who are going to have the headache if they have um, external third-party applications like TAN. Yep, yep. Yeah, the thing that's tough is with OAuth, for security reasons, the token actually expires. So there's a set time when that token will expire. And so the developer on the back end has to be making sure that they're refreshing it to get a, a new... That's not something the user has to worry about, but it does make it more complicated on as the developer to be constantly making sure that you've got the recent one and you refresh it before it expires. Otherwise, you have to go back to the user to get them to re-authenticate. Re um, so that can be annoying as a developer. <laughs> but something we deal with, we integrate with Google Drive and Box and Dropbox, and those all use OAuth, and it's the same, same thing there. So fun stuff. But yeah, that's, uh, that's a pretty big change. Um, Cool thing. Well, the other thing to, to worry about if you, you know, this concept of scoping and giving access, you can also give read only access or write access. So that's big. The thing you got to make sure of if you're already using a service like Zapier or Antair or whatever, um, you need to make sure when you set up this OAuth that you're giving the same permissions that they needed to to do whatever you're doing because it might break your automations or your integrations if you give a smaller scope than what they were relying on before or or access to a base that they were connecting to you got to make sure that you give them access to that base in that scope otherwise you might break your your integrations that makes sense yep so so it's good overall. Um, I wish the thing that any Airtable developers, there's a use case that I would love to implement for our forms is the ability for like an admin to, to give access to like onto air to like one base or a base and then, and then have like a secondary OAuth process where they don't they where you define what you're asking for what base you're asking for they don't have that concept basically when when you ask somebody for access they have to decide what base they're giving access to but there's a use case where an admin wants to say 
I want to set up connection for all of my users to this one base. And then any of my users, they don't need to say, you know, specify the base. They just say, yes, you know, I'll, I'll let you connect to that base as me. So that's what I really want them to implement with their OAuth. <clears throat> that's the next step. We'll, we'll see right. when you have any other bases. <laughs> Yeah, right, right. Yeah, because like the end users, like a form, you know, if an end user doesn't know what they don't have access to the base or they do, but they don't, you know, really get in there. They don't know what what base they, they need to give access to. And if they don't give access to the right base, then that integration might not work. So that um, I might uh, jump on their call. That's actually the other thing I was going to mention. Um, there is a call coming up with the developers um, of the table, I believe this Thursday, right? Yep. Is it on Thursday? I believe it is. It's another I guess ask you guys don't have it. You don't you're not looking forward to talking to their table <laughs> developers. Yeah, there it is. Uh yeah, Thursday. <clears throat> so that might be one question. I'll I i do not know if I'll be able to jump on, but um will be interesting to see if they give any insights there. All right, moving on. Um, going to the built-on-air community, a couple um, things. So I love the built-on-air community. There's lots of sleuthers in there that are always finding new things that come out um, from Airtable that Airtable doesn't announce in their own community. So here's one from Rebecca. Notice that if you right-click on a cell, there's this new option to add a comment, um, but it's still just at the record level. This, this isn't a field specific, even though you right click on a field. Um, so it's just kind of a shortcut to get to the, the record menu. Um, but that's something new that just appears to have come out. Yeah, I, I think the record's pretty cool. Good. It would be nice if we could comment on an individual record because there's there have been many a time where there'll be a hundred fields in a base and I'm saying why is this why is this equal 10 instead of 12 and having to scroll through the sometimes very similarly named fields um, it's difficult oftentimes to pinpoint exactly what someone's commenting about so being able to like directly reference a field even if it just copied the name of the field for you and just put it in the comment, that'd be a good half step. Um, it'd be nice because now we can, we have copy cell URL, which is supposed to take you to exactly the field. So it's, we already know that Airtable has the capability to like zoom in to exactly the record and cell you're referring to. So the comment feature would be nice if it could directly reference it. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, the, the comments are on the attachments too, and you can see which attachment they commented on, but it's still not individual cells. Right. That's right. Yeah, and do those comments, I was thinking about that, those comments on the attachment do not, they don't show up in the activity stream, do they? They do. They show up in the comment section. Oh, they do. Well, now that they, they separated out, it, it does show up in the comment section. So I have a client that uses like the interfaces, and then they have like, internal conversations on the on the record and let the clients interact on the attachments so they can just see those attachment comments. 
Interesting. Yeah, so they do already have one concept of a of a cell level comments on the attachments. As long as it could get confusing though, of like where did I put that comment? Was it on this cell or this cell or this record? It could get confusing. <clears throat> so they would definitely need a good U UI to to show all of them. <clears throat> That's half the battle for any feature request is what is it going to look like and how do I package this as a button? Because if it's a 10 step process, no one's going to want to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, I yeah, am rather happy. I like the, um, I don't know if we were, you might have this as something to go over as well, but how they separated out revision history and comments in the expanded record. We showed that, that last week. Really, yeah. Okay, yeah, I wasn't. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a really a good change, I think, because they get lost so easily. Um, yeah. Yeah. I wish it would it would default to all activity versus comments because sometimes you come in and there's a bunch of activity, but there's like no comments. So sometimes it's like, I go to the activity first, but I can see where people would want the comments first. So. Yeah, a, a lot of bases are only me. So there are no comments because I know what all the records are, but I need to look at the activity. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So nice little, uh, little uh, Easter egg there. One more from the built on air community. Um, this one's more developer centric. Uh, Florian um, brought this up. So there's this concept of, um, so this is kind of similar to the OAuth. Once you have either an OAuth or a personal access token, there's this um, endpoint that you can call that's who am I to figure out what user is you're connected as. So sometimes as a developer, you have a connection and you just wanna get information about the user. In most use cases, the who am I gives more information than just the ID. It would tell you the user's name, email, you know, account information. Um, Airtables is pretty, pretty weak in that regard. Um, but they do have this concept of scopes, of, which is what I talked about of like access to certain bases or read only or, or edit um, access. And you're supposed to be able to get that scope information um, from it, but it looks like it does not work for OAuth. Um, but it worked. Oh, let, let me see. It works for OAuth, but not personal access tokens. So it doesn't give you that information, which I think is a bug. I think they confirmed it's a bug on Airtable side. So. If you're doing any API development, um, be aware that that scopes does not show up for the personal access tokens as of now. But that's important because you need to know like, okay, does this do, did they only give me read only access to it? So you need to know that as a developer. <clears throat> All right. Last one. This just came out this morning. If you um, have, a, I got an email from Softer. Uh, um, actually, this is the one I want. So Softer, a huge platform, probably one of the biggest third-party, if not the biggest third-party app that's primarily built on top of Airtable, although they've branched out from Airtable now, but started as Airtable. Um, looks like they're changing their pricing. So they're, they're increasing their pricing, but they're also uh, moving to 
keeping track of how many. So now they're separating out visitors from internal users to external users. And I don't know this for sure. My assumption is internal users means people that can actually like modify the app. So kind of more admin type users. And then external users are, you know, people that can just edit or interact with the data, log in to the, to the admin panel or not the admin panel, but the, the portal. So these are like portal users. So I believe before they did not, um, you know, put a cap on how many login users you could have. I think that those were kind of considered same as visitors. So I don't know if any of you are power software, softer users. I used to have a membership limit. So memberships were the external users who could log in and edit. I think those tiers are the same. The visitors might be something new, but they did have a cap. So you had to like, there's a, it was an $80, um, tier that allowed you to have logged in users um, that didn't have access to edit the app. It looks like they have more internal users now too, from what it looks like you have more ability to go in and change it, but it could be I'm not sure exactly. I saw the email. I just didn't see all the changes and I was like, Oh, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like Especially because they're going to roll out new features to people yeah. who get on the new plans, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I guess collaborators, so collaborators might be, so they have collaborators and internal users and external users. That seems so like an awful lot of differentiation. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, I'm not sure that's what Jacob's asking to differentiate. Uh, yeah, I don't think the email made it clear. I would say, because you can have multiple people that have access like to the account, like you said, to modify internally. Like if, if I logged into my software account and I'm actually editing the app, right? I could have a team of people that are editing that same app. I'm assuming that's what internal or collaborators means. Um, yeah. That's very similar to stackers pricing as well. They also have odd terminology around that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it looks like, I, I don't know if they had caps on records per dynamic block. So there's caps there. Um, I thought they yeah. had record caps in general, but not per block. Per. That's like a list yeah, that's element. Weird. Well, yeah, like a list. The problem is, yeah, like the problem is too, like the number, like when you have, editor access on software to different fields like no matter what you show in that block if you show five fields in that block it will open all the records in that phase that that user can edit when you click on the edit button regardless of how it's being displayed which is why i use on a lot is because there's just like all the information so i don't know if they're trying to add that functionality where you're just showing those four or five fields in that block which is why they're differentiating the, the pricing or like the differentiating the number of fields in the block. But like right now it's like everything when you open the record to edit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to, I know on their roadmap is action buttons and that's something I'm really looking forward to. Cause I think that'll clean up the editing experience a lot. Um, 
like a, you could click a button to like, you know, update this record and it opens up in like a modal with just the field that you need to touch, um, which would be great. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing software. Um, yeah. I've just been amazed how big they've grown and they've raised millions and it would be interesting to see. It'd be interesting to see where they go. They've already now added Google Sheets and you know, that's where I see like these platforms as they add more and more different data sources. Like you, you can't, you can't be the same app that supports all these different endpoints. Like it becomes a very different product. It'd be interesting to see how it evolves. All right. That concludes uh, not much else going on in the uh, community relatively quiet there is rumblings i'm not going to announce anything but if you're in the built-on air community you've maybe seen rumblings of maybe something out there so next week we're going to have a special announcement we'll have a, a guest come on and talk about some other things that are community related so uh stay tuned for next week for for some big news there but you've maybe seen some some inklings of of stuff coming down the pipeline i've seen some mentions of it in the public like uh, built on air uh, channel. So there is something going on. Um, we'll announce it next week. <clears throat> okay, with that, we'll move on to OnToAir, our primary sponsor. It's an all-in-one toolkit to run your business on Airtable. It's a suite of apps that help you do more with your Airtable uh, environment. So if you're running your business on Airtable, you definitely need to check out OnToAir. Um, we have a cool case study featuring Jen Rudd and how she uses onto our forms with one of your clients. So thank you for doing that, Jen. Um, but on today, we're gonna talk about, last week we I gave a sneak peek. I don't know if you saw it, Jen. I know you're anxiously waiting. Thank I've been you yelling for being at patient for, for our logic. <laughs> <laughs> I've been promising it for a bit. There's just, it's it's a big, uh, big, big uh, undertaking and, and just working out the final kinks and bugs, but it's there. You see it. We're going, we're going live soon. Um, but I'm not going to show that. I showed it last week on last week's video. But another thing that will be coming when we launch um, with this is one very common use case. I'll go to uh, the base that I have set up is kind of a, a parent child relationship. Now on to air where we've kind of pioneered that parent child relationship within linked fields. Um, we had that from the get-go. That was one of our main use cases when we built our initial integration with JotForm is being able to have a parent field, drop-down field, um, and then a child field that was derived based off of what you selected in the parent. So a typical use case is cars. So you have your make, and then once you choose your make, then that determines your model. Um, so we've always had that, you know, kind of mindset, but it was only working um, with linked records. But sometimes you want that functionality with just single drop down fields, um, just like here. So it's pretty common. I see this in a lot of um, places where you might have a status field and this has three options, but sometimes you want a sub status. And so it's common to kind of set this up and you have all of your options here. But really, these three are only relevant if the status is planning. And then these two are only relevant if it's live. And then these are relevant if it's completed. And you just kind of deal with the fact that you just kind of need to know that you shouldn't select um, 
you know, an option that isn't relevant to the, the parent. And so that's okay. You just kind of deal with this excess noise and hope that, that you don't get bad data in there. But we wanted to make that a little bit easier. And so we actually built into our select fields um, this new feature that's coming out soon of a parent mapping that works with, um, and your parent doesn't have to be a drop-down field. It can actually be a text field or a formula field. Um, and so how that works is you can enable this parent mapping and then you just select what your parent field is gonna be. So if in the simple use case of two drop-down fields, I select my, so you do this on the child field. So the sub status field in this case, and you set up and you say, my parent is the status field. And then we're gonna map, map all of the parent fields and what fields should um, display on the child field. So you simply select one value from the parent and then this shows all those child fields. And you say for this parent of planning, I only wanna make these options available. And then for this live one, I'm just gonna select these. And then for completed, I'll select these three and then you're done. And now you have all your mapping for each of the different parent and child relationships. And then you can also specify if there's no match, do you want to display all of the fields, all of the fields in the, in the child or no, no options. So you can kind of play with that. And then now, uh, once you view the, the, the field by default, since I said display no options, if there's no match, won't show anything the sub status until I select on the princess. So now when I select planning, now my option changes to just those planning options that I configured in the, in the mapping. And then if I change this to something else, now it changes to just those options. So very quick way to set up a parent-child relationship between those. Um, now, if your parent is like a text field, you can actually simply, um, I can't show that here because I don't have a text field, um, but you can actually define what your parent mapping value. So if they type in something, then you can then set up what your select fields are. So you can actually build some, some advanced um, use cases where if they type this or if this is contained within the, the field, so maybe you have an email field and if their email is this, then these are the options you wanna display, things like that. So cool stuff you can build with our, with our parent mapping that is coming soon. I thought I'd share a sneak peek. That's awesome. All right, moving on. What's that? Oh, I just think that's, that's awesome. awesome. Uh, thank you. Yeah, that's a cool uh, feature. All right, Jen, we're moving on to um, your automation section. You, yeah, there's your screen showing. Awesome. Take it away. So um, before we get started, I just want to talk a little bit about where is my cursor? <laughs> I have two screens. It's a computer. Um, so AirTips is launching its first course. AirTips is to help consultants and clients get a better experience in building out Airtable. So for consultants, I'm creating the client attraction playbook, which will be a course that's coming out on the 6th. And that's to help um, consultants learn how to better engage with clients, how to find the right clients for them, and how to figure out how to match the needs of the clients um, with their skill set. So if you're interested, it's airtips.io 
um, and the first course is launching, but there'll also be some client education, which I hope will also help the consultants because the clients are better educated when they're engaging. Um, so if you can join the community, it's a Slack community similar to Built on Air. And again, the course is launching on the 6th. Very excited about it. Um, so that's my plug for the day. And then so <laughs> as a consultant, a lot of times they get really weird or not weird, but requests for clients to figure out how to automate processes that take a lot of time. So for a client of mine in, in the entertainment industry, they're a big name. You see them at the bottom of the credits of um, movies and so forth. Um, they have a lot of marketing that they're doing and they're using BitLinks to track the effectiveness of their marketing. So what I did is I created a um, BitLink generator directly in Airtable so that it connects to their BitLink account. They have a paid account and they can customize the link both the front half with their, their little um, snippet URL and then also customize the back half. So what I did was I replicated this in my own base. And so basically the first thing that we do is we name the bit link or what the initiative is going to be. So this is just a test. And then in Google analytics, sometimes you want to track where the link is. So we use UTMs. I don't know what that means <laughs> in English, but you basically add um, an extension to the end of the link to track where that link is being placed. So like here we have Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Also, when you're creating in Bitly, if you're trying to use the same URL and you're trying to create different BitLinks off of it, it won't work, which is why we use source and channel and things like that to append a link to make it more um, trackable. And then also so you can create customized links based on um, the, the channel that you're using or the source and so forth. So here we're picking Facebook. I added the original link, which is just built on air. I'm gonna add some tags. And then I'm going to add a description. So we're going to add built on air community. And I can spell. <laughs> and then I'm also going to put a back half. So basically a bit link, usually you have like bit.ly forward slash string of letters, which doesn't really work for people, especially if you're not, if it's not a clickable link, if it's like something you're putting in print and so forth. So sometimes you want to customize the link so it's branded and also is just um, easier to type out in case people can't click on something. So we're going to call this builds on air. And basically what I did was in bit.ly, I set up a paid account and I have links.airtips.io as the custom front half of my bit link. So basically every URL that I create, the front half is the links.airtips.io, um, which is just a subdomain of my domain. And then I add the back half in Airtable. And then, so I'm going to hit bit, get bit link. You're going to see all my junk <laughs> on the back end to make sure it's running correctly. And you will see that it created that custom bit link in bit.ly. And so now the client doesn't have to go into bit.ly, add the tags, all the things, and then come back in here and keep a tracking of it. And then the next thing that we did is uh, I created a reporting table. So I think Ben, and possibly Scott has shown that like you can run an automation on a consistent basis, like once a day to create a report, basically. So the automation is that every week at a certain time, I want to go into that table and see, find any bit links where they're live. I'm going to find them all. And also another note for Bitly, Bitly only tracks links for 60 days. <laughs> so at the end of 60 days, if you keep going past 60 days, eventually it will go to zero if people 
aren't clicking after 60 days. So it only tracks for 60 days. So what we've done around that is we've created different buckets in Airtable is we have like 60 days, 120 days. And then the automation will say, okay, if we're at, you know, day 61, instead of putting the information from the, re- the click report into um, day six, the 60 day bucket, we put it in a, you know, the 120 day bucket. So we can see over every 60 days to see the effectiveness over time. And then we kind of like bottom out at, at a year, just because a lot of the links for that particular client are in print and so forth. So they're, they're longer lasting links. So that was just a, something that you can't change. Even in enterprise and bit.ly, it ends at 90 days as the most you can get um, history for a link click. So you kind of just check the last 60 days each time. Um, sidebar. Uh, so, and then we basically, I create a record in the reporting table where I just link all of those um, bit links that are live within the last 60 days. And then because the automation then picks up, okay, if anything is added to that report, then it will run the script to um, get the bit the bitly tracking. So basically like I created a link yesterday and then this morning it found that there was one click on it. So this updates every morning for me, Monday through Friday, how many clicks uh, each link got. So now the team doesn't have to leave Airtable to create new links. It gets created in Bitly and then the information comes back here and then they have automated reporting. So that was fun. <laughs> we also do the same thing for MailChimp, so. Awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> cool, so you've done some scripting and and automation. Sounds like you're a, you're a full-blown programmer now. <clears throat> Yay. Yeah. Well, it's funny as I learned JavaScript in college in like 2000s and then I like didn't use it <laughs> for like uh-huh. 10 years. So it's very, it's like having the desktop and also like learning the nuances of Airtable scripting and like now I'm trying to create a Vegalite report and I'm just, it's sometimes you're like, oh, this is so cool. And like, look at the cool things I do. And sometimes mm-hmm. I'm like, this is stupid. <laughs> Why is this happening? Why is this not working? Um, but this is, this is like really fun. Like it took a while to like figure out how to structure the script and stuff like that. But like now that like we have it, we can take it from base to base and add it to different initiatives and so forth. So it's really cool that like, once you unlock the system, it's really cool. Like what you can do with scripting. It's just kind of like beating your head against the wall for a while before you get the answer. Yeah, absolutely. I think I missed <clears throat> in your automation. <clears throat> I didn't see a scripting step to to pull the the metrics. Oh, let me just that? go ahead and like jury rig it for oh, you. Oh, that's it. That's that. There we yeah, go. Yeah, it's like a daily one. So like, here's the new one, right? Let me click on it first. I'm trying to look at two screens and do the same thing at the same time. Um, Where is the custom bit link? Okay, I'm gonna click on this one which is the new one, right? And so you can see that UTM up here. So Dan on the back end of his website, will see that there's a UTM for Facebook, right? And so then I'm gonna jury rig this and just pretend this one ran and then I'm gonna run the script. Test action. And there you go, you can see the one click output. And I learned how to, because the clicks come back as an array, I figured out how to turn those numbers, those uh, information from an array to an actual number and then 
some of those, which was, I was very proud of myself figuring that one out, which I'm sure it's very elementary to most people, but it was super fun to like figure that out. Like, okay, now I, I got the payload. Here's the information that comes out. How do I transform this into like what I actually need? Like, this is great that there's like one, five, 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 five. What does that turn into like an actual number in the output and error table? That's all coding awesome. is. It's just, I have a problem. And then a long pause and then, <laughs> oh, I could maybe do this. And then another long pause. Maybe if I do it this way and then there you go, that's coding. It's problem solving. Yeah. yeah that was like with MailChimp. I spent like an inordinate amount of time trying to figure out how to get the number of like clicks across like all the links in an email. And I was like, kept writing the same report over and over again. And then I was finally like, oh, if I go back up a step to campaigns, the data is there and I can grab it there and get the numbers. So like, cause it was like, it would just give you like all the clicks, not the unique clicks. So you had to go to the campaign report to get unique clicks. Whereas like the individual like campaigns, like it, it was just, it was pulling the information incorrectly. So sometimes you have to like, maybe this isn't the right path. Is there another path that will give me that answer too? And it's reading documentation and <laughs> trying to figure out the logic behind it. Yeah. Or the illogicalness. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that, Jen, and coming on and and uh, promoting airtips.io February 6th for that that one's geared towards consultants, right? Your first one? Yeah. Definitely. Yep. Awesome. We will be checking it out. Thank you. Okay, moving on. Next, we've got interfaces with Ali. Share your screen, ready to go. Awesome. All right. So this is just a cool little hack that um, I've landed on. Um, and actually, one of my friends came up with half of this. So shout out to Jalen. Um, so on here, I've put together a very, very simple interface that I've got two pages on. And both of these pages are just kind of subsets of the same records. Right. So I've got vehicle maintenance, which I've got like uh, people submit certain maintenance uh, issues on these vehicles saying like, oh, the motor seized up completely, um, for example, on a vehicle. But I want to separate those out into different interface pages. But the thing that's really annoying is if I'm on this CV116, and then I flip back to my just vehicle details page. Now I'm back up on CV166 instead of on the one that I was before. So I've put together like a little hack that I've adjusted over time and I'm only gonna do kind of half of it right now for the sake of time. But so essentially what I'm gonna start by doing is I'm gonna copy the URL for each one of my interface pages and just starting with this one here, um, if I'm flipping through, if I pay attention to what the URL looks like, you can see that the, the record ID changes at the end as I'm clicking on different vehicles. So I wanna copy this URL. I'm gonna go into my base and I'm gonna add a formula field and I'm gonna add um, this one's just going to be, that was vehicle details, right? Vehicle details. Yes. Awesome. 
And I'm just going to get rid of that last part of the URL because that I want to replace dynamically slash formulaically with my record ID from the base itself. And so now I have links that'll lead me to that particular page for each of these records. I'm going to repeat that same thing for my other page here. Just copy that link and duplicate this. Side note, cool keyboard shortcut. If you hold Option on a Mac or I think Alt on a PC and move this field over, it duplicates it wherever you want. So that's a little thing I use hmm. often. Amazingly, um, I've never done that before. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> I love it. It works really well, um, except for it's moving slowly right now. Also, PS, I haven't mentioned, but my internet is spotty, so I'm on a hotspot right now. So hopefully everything looks like it's working. Um, so essentially I'm doing that same exact thing, but with the um, URL for the vehicle maintenance page. I'm gonna delete this extra field. And now I'm gonna take it one step further because I could just kind of stop there and then use my uh, the built-in Airtable element of the button field here. Um, to kind of simulate my navigation. However, I don't love all the, I wish they had more options for colors. So I am going to go back into the base and I'm gonna add a couple sets of buttons here. Now the bummer about this is that it does add a lot of extra fields, but it's well worth it because it looks really cool on the other end. So could you, what I'm could you gonna not do is I'm just gonna put it in. Go again. Come oh, on. I'm sorry. In, in uh, here. Yeah, the the no with your original field that you just made one for vehicle maintenance and one for uh, vehicle details. Couldn't those have started as buttons? They could have. However, I'm gonna. I will explain why I didn't do it that way. I'm, I'm oh. typing the word button. I, I see. <laughs> I've got. There's a method to this madness. <laughs> um, so I'm just gonna reference that formula that I made here with my uh, vehicle details button. But here I'm going to make this one say inactive. And uh, here's where uh, things I, get really cool. I get it. <laughs> as soon as you did that, I understand why. <laughs> and then I'm going to make a duplicate of that and also say this one's going to be the active one. So instead of my solid red, I'm gonna change this to just white background with the red text. And then I'm gonna repeat the same thing, but for my vehicle maintenance. And I'm just gonna go down the rainbow here. And then let's just change this to something like that. Vehicle maintenance. And finally, flip this just to a white background. And then this one is active. All right, so now that I have my buttons here, I'm gonna go back into my interface mm -hmm. and to add my buttons down at the bottom here. So I'm on my vehicle details page. So I wanna use the vehicle details active button 
as this button here. And then this is, I can't read what that says, but hopefully that says inactive. Oops, yeah. Awesome. And now if I go to vehicle maintenance, I'm gonna do the opposite. So this is now my active page. And then I wanna use vehicle details inactive. And then finally, I'm going to um, go up here and say, I wanna hide this in the navigation. So that way I don't have those navigable pages at the top because they just throw off all the work that I just did and make, them, make it not worth it. But it, now when I publish, this becomes my new navigation. And so if I go down and I'm on CV166 and I click back to vehicle details, now I'm still on CV166 and I can see that I'm on vehicle details because now this button's white. So as I flip between these, and if I had more sets of buttons, it would look even cooler. Um, but this I like so much more than the navigation that Airtable comes with because I can scroll all the way down. And if I'm looking at this vehicle, I want to stay on that vehicle throughout all my sets of interface pages. Yep. Um, lots of cool little things uh, that you can kind of expand on with that. But yeah. So you and a friend just hanging out Friday night, thinking about interfaces and buttons and came up with this. Yeah, like, like all the kids. <laughs> right, yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, it was, it was really cool. And yeah, you could, like Camille said, I could have just started with a button, but then the reason I didn't, the reason I started with these formulas is because now I only have to update these formulas, these two fields, as opposed to all four of these or whatever. Yep. Um, if I need to change the URL. So I do a similar implementation, but it's only, I only need one button. And so I just put the, the URL formula in the button, but this is a more advanced implementation where you are replacing the entirety of a navigation bar. And while it does add more fields, it does give you all of the options that, you know, you otherwise wouldn't have had, but, you know, right. here's another request for the button elements in interfaces to have more colors just because we wouldn't have to do a lot of this nonsense exactly yeah. if they only had the same color options like i i hate how limited they are um but yeah that's that's about that's it cool. that's cool so basically creating a new menu system <clears throat> right because if you did the other one, it would just take you to the top so it doesn't stay on the record, right? So that's awesome. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Thank you, Allie, for showing that hack. That will come in handy. All right, one quick plug for our Built On Air community. If you haven't joined, please join us at builtonair.com slash join. Uh, get in. We have a very active Slack community and we'd love to have you join us. Our goal for this year is to reach 2000 members. So please join us and tell your friends. Our final segment will be from Camille talking about some guy named Jason. <laughs> Can you guys see my screen? Yep. Yeah. I have talked about before the strange process I've decided upon that feeds both of my websites, my personal portfolio and my business website. 
which involves using a static site generator called Jekyll. In order to do that, as opposed to using something like WordPress, or we talked about software earlier, or my best friend Glide, uh, which would feed data automatically from an Airtable base or some other source, um, I am, for some reason, committed to using a static site generator, meaning I have to effectively download data from Airtable into a file uh, in my sort of configuration for the site and have it regenerate. And then I upload all those files back to my website using an FTP process. I don't necessarily recommend doing what I do, but I just think it's fun and neat. Um, and in order to do that, um, the process has changed a couple of different times um, over the course of me, you know, making this decision to run my site like a madman. Uh, but one way or another, I get my uh, information about my website into a JSON file. So JSON is a method of organizing data in a way that's pretty predictable. Um, if you're familiar with JavaScript, you should uh, be somewhat familiar with the structure. It is, um, in my case, an array of objects. Um, and then each of the keys within my object are linking back to a field in Airtable with the exception of ID and name. Those are the two sort of default properties for any record in Airtable. Um, it looks pretty standard for um, what you might expect to get out of an Airtable um, download of file um, into a JSON format, including a bunch of stuff that I don't actually need, like the color of each of these select options. I don't actually use that information, but I have it just in case. The um, oddities of my method of making a website in this manner is that because Airtable is no longer allowing permanent publicly accessible attachment links using their attachment fields, I've had to transition into using Google Drive. Well, in order to get Google Drive images uh, to show up the way I want them, I'm going to load really quickly. Um, I have a gallery of images on my website. Each gallery image has its own um, text if you hover over and also has the same caption below. There's a particular order that these are supposed to show up and all of that needs to be controlled somehow. And so getting back into the nonsense, I've had to do a somewhat custom implementation of exporting my information out of Airtable. Hopefully that all makes sense. So I'm using Airtable's uh, sync source for Google Drive. There's a folder that has all of my uh, Google Drive files that are relevant to my portfolio. I have selected, I've linked um, each of the files to the appropriate project. And then for each file, I've given it a caption. Then I have, um, for each file, it has a, um, a field that outputs um, in JSON format, the source of the image. So the uh, URL that I could go to just look at the image itself. 
and then the caption of the image, which again is its own little text field, and then whether or not that image should be the thumbnail for the project. So I want to control which image is the one that, if you're only looking at one image, what image is that? Um, and then I have a roll-up field at my project level that puts this all into one list. Then there are several services that do this. Um, I used a previous service uh, I think I've shown on the podcast before. It's actually still in this space, but right now I'm using a script that I made that again, it's not necessarily for production purposes, but because I need not just the list of projects in JSON format, they're organized by service. So if I go back to my website, you'll see Urban Design, Teaching, Airtable, Podcasting, et cetera. Each of those is a record in my services table and each project is linked to the appropriate service. So I need more than one JSON um, export out of here. So what I've done for the scripting app is made use of the cursor. So I can say, um, look at whatever table I'm currently looking at. In this case, it's project. Then look at whatever view I'm currently looking at. In this case, it's showcase. And then get all of the uh, records in that view. Unfortunately, um, in custom extension coding, I would be able to say, get any fields that are currently shown in the view. In scripting, I have to say, get all of the fields in the table or specify each field myself. Um, so lazily, I just said, get all of the table fields. Um, and then I'm doing a loop to export the record that I, all of the records in this view into the format that I want um, with a little bit of customized logic in there. So I know what fields I'm looking at and what fields that I don't want. I don't even want to bother with attachment fields. And I happen to know that I've named all of those fields either files or thumbnails. Um, I also could have done a filter to just remove any field that had the type of multiple attachment links, I believe is what they're called underneath. Um, so I'm saying get all of the um, get all of the fields for whatever uh, table I'm currently looking at, except for any of the attachment ones, and then outport um, export mm -hmm. out the name of the field plus the um, whatever value it is for that field and put it into the format of JSON. And I'm also tacking on the record ID and the uh, record name. That's this bit at the front. Um, get the ID of the record, get the name of the record, and then get all of the other fields of the record except for attachments, and then put them in the same format. Then I'm doing a lot of nonsense to get it from an object to JSON format. They're very similar, but not, qu not quite the same. Um, and then um, nothing really happens that I see other than it just spits everything out into this really long piece of text, but I just double click it, copy and paste it back into this file, projects.json. And then this is specific to Jekyll, but I say Jekyll build 
it assembles my entire website again, and then I push it back to my website using GitHub. That is a very long and silly process, and it doesn't need to be that way, but it works. And I have the pride in knowing that I've built this monstrosity twice with my bare hands, and that's why I've done it. There's something to be said for that. <laughs> yeah, it's both, both of my websites are built this way. So my company website that has all of my, you know, the stuff that I sell uh, is built the exact same way. Um, but I've talked about before wanting to look at is what is a better overall solution. And um, although I really like Glide, I would need a higher tier that I feel necessary to pay for to incorporate um, the login system I use for my company website called Outseta. I need to have custom JavaScript in order for people to uh, use this login form thing that comes up on my website. And so I am testing another service called WeWeb, which is far more complicated, but it allows me to get much closer to the style that I've decided upon for both of my websites. You'll notice um, that the general vibe of these two websites thus far look almost identical. And that's what I wanted out of a, a website builder if I were to ever go back into what normal people do. So some, somewhere down the line for this season, you may see me uh, talk about WeWeb some more as I get further into it. Cool. All right, thank you for sharing that, Camille. And working with, um, yeah, JSON is very, very standard use case. Um, it's pretty much everywhere in the coding and scripting environment. So getting familiar with that. And I think Garrett, Garrett who's watching mentioned the, the integration with Google Drive. That's a nice way to get around the, um, the uh, attachment expiring issue is putting them up on Google Drive. And so that's a good, good workaround that you've got there. Yep. Even for the attachment size limit, the, I think it's like two gigabytes or something you get at lower mm -hmm. tiers on your table. But if you have like video files, for instance, that could get eaten up really quickly. So just storing them somewhere else and then linking to them is just a, you know, it's pretty helpful once you uh, get it in place. Yep. Awesome. Very cool. Well, that concludes today's uh, show. Thank you all for coming. Jen, thank you for joining us. Excited to hear more of what you've got going on. We'll have you back in the future. Thank you. All right. We will see everybody next week on next week's episode of the Built on Air podcast. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for joining today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to check out our sponsor, ontair.com, and we will see you next time on the Built on Air podcast. <laughs>